0: in the uh, meeting so I'm going to ask you to do most of the work if that's okay with you. So all, all set to go, you'll need a Bible open in front of you or share across please. I think if you, it's one of these things, if you put something into it you get something out of it, if you don't put anything into it you don't get anything out of it, it's a bit like that isn't it? So I think it's the same with everybody who listens to uh, scripture, the measure you give is the measure you get. What is God's big plan for the world? What is his answer to climate change, global warming, uh, cost of living crisis, all that? Long term, the Lord's plan is not just to, to sort of patch up this world, but to make a new world and to have a kingdom. And our thought this morning is about this kingdom and indeed how we can belong to the kingdom. The world at the moment is chaotic, can be unstable and frightening. Uh, Here in the West, we've enjoyed a long period of peace, prosperity. It isn't always like that, and we can't expect it to be always like that. The plan of God is to bring this world into proper shape as his kingdom. And of course, a kingdom has a king. And uh, this part of the Bible is telling us about... The king, what sort of person he is, what sort of work he does. And of course, our, the thought that we might have is well, how can I belong to his kingdom? And interestingly, Jesus speaks to this uh, when he says, No one en- can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit, born again. So it's an interesting thing that Jesus says the kingdom is not actually a question of signing up to vote. Or being, uh, you know, having a a house in a certain place. It is a spiritual thing. Um, When it says water and the spirit, I think those two words go together the watery spirit, uh, the spirit who is poured out. We need to be born again supernaturally of the spirit. So I just say that up up at the beginning. And let's uh, look, boys and girls, at the context of this because it is a story and it's flowing through. And I'd like us to try and. follow the plot line started in the garden of eden when the snake tempted adam via eve they uh, got kicked out of the garden and they began a close acquaintance with death and there was the promise of this person uh, who whose name is up on there anybody like just like to push us forward with this what was the promise say thank you very much the promise of a serpent crusher Somebody will come and crush the serpent's head. So that's what we're looking at, and we noticed that in a previous uh, previous talk. And in the book of Samuel, uh, the people wanted, uh, you've got to help me with this, K something 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 G, they wanted a king, well done. Uh, uh, and the prophet who guided this was called? Samuel, well done. Yeah, Samuel. Uh, and uh, we look back over the story. They wanted the right, the right thing for the wrong reasons. They wanted to be like the other. This one's more difficult. Yeah. Thank you. They wanted to be like the other nations. But Israel was supposed to be different. And the nations were supposed to envy Israel for her wisdom and find they got a prayer answering God and so on. Uh, and Cutting a long story short, God gave them somebody called S something something L who is, yep, Saul. Uh, and uh, this king looked very good. He was, he looked very good. He was from Lewis. Tall. Well done. He was tall. Yes, he's really tall. But he, uh, you remember, I don't know whether you remember Daniel telling this. He was a king who hides amongst the... Anybody know where he hid? Might include adults in this because we need to move along. He, he hid among the baggage. Well done. I think uh, Mark gets a little round of applause for that. Well done. So we, uh, we're now thinking, what sort of king is Saul? Um, have you ever made... No, you could make cakes or paper airplanes. Anybody... Has made either a paper aeroplane or a cake or a bread or anything like that? Surely most people have done some of that. Yeah, okay. Um, One of the things about making paper aeroplanes, you you try it and you make the wings a bit big, you fly, it doesn't work properly. And you think, that's because the right hand side was too big, next time I'll make it better. Or if you're making a cake, woo, you're making a cake or bread or something. Uh, and it, it doesn't turn out quite right. It's a bit too chewy. You think, oh, I put in too much br- 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 yeast or something like that. You say, next time, I'll do it right. And Saul is like that. He's the first attempt king. So you can see how to do it right the next time. Is he a good king? Does he rule well? Does he rescue his people? Does he defeat his enemies? Well, um, just looking back, he, at the Battle of Jabesh, he defeated Nahash, and Nahash... Conveniently, Does anybody remember what Nahash's name meant? It's a strange thing. Serpent, Serpent yes, yeah, snake. And so Saul defeated the snake in the power of the spirit. Yeah, he did. The spirit came upon him. Yes, he did. He, that, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah? Good king. That's the right thing for a king to do. Then uh, in chapter 13, you might just like to flip back to it he made a mistake. He didn't wait for Samuel and he offered burnt offerings. I think it was Steve who took us through this really in a helpful way. And in verse 13 of chapter 13, what did it say? You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time but now, your kingdom will not endure the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the lord's command. So what was the problem that what didn't he do? He didn't he didn't keep the lord's command he, lord's command. he wasn't a listening king he didn't listen to what God said um, and so at this point, Samuel says. You won't, though after you, there won't be, uh, your kingdom won't last forever. Uh, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and commanded him as ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. There will not be a, now then, anybody know this word? D, Y, something, A, something, something, Y. It means one king after another, after another, after another, because that won't happen. You think it's dynasty? What were you going to say, David? You're going to say dynasty, okay. Anybody else want to have a go? Yeah, I think it's dynasty. A little round of applause because that, that's, that's not an easy one. Yeah, well done. Yeah, there won't be a dynasty. And there's someone else. Now, we don't know who the someone else is. That was in chapter 13. In chapter 15. Um, in chapter 15, that was last week, wasn't it? Saul was rash in his orders, and he was told to punish the Amalekites... And he didn't do it. And he, he, he was told to do this, but he didn't do it. And in verse 23, it says, mm. now if you look at verse 23, because if I read it, I'll give the game away, but it, they, it, it says, you something the word of the Lord and the Lord has something you as king. Rejected is the first word. And the second word up there? Is rejected as well. Yeah, you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king. So this is Samuel. Go, uh, this is a big point. Saul going wrong, and this time it isn't just saying there won't be a king after you. It says you're no longer going to be king yourself. So it's got worse for him. The Lord has rejected you as king. And this is a very, um, what shall I say? Uh, it's a difficult story in some ways because what Saul was supposed to do was, as it were, bring the day of judgment there into history with a fearful judgment on the Amalekites, uh, just heart-stoppingly awful. And he didn't do it. And it points us to something about the, the right Messiah that his job one of his jobs is to bring fearful judgment, and Jesus is tasked with doing that, and we believe that that's what he will do. There is something called the wrath of the lamb. There is a day of where the, the, the lamb rules with a rod of iron, and there's a fearful day of judgment coming, and that will be in the hands of Jesus. And as Saul failed to, to do it properly, the Lord Jesus won't. And there's a warning for us that one day we will face the Lord Jesus when he is tasked with bringing judgment. And what we're we going to say, because as Christians, we will say, I know there's a fearful punishment coming, but Lord, you've already paid it yourself for me. And the Lord Jesus will say, I sure have. No problem on that last day for you, there is no condemnation on that last day. So, um, uh, Saul, let the snake get away. I had a little graphic for that. What's the snake? Saul, let the snake get away. um, And he shouldn't have done that. So now we're on our way to finding this person that the Lord has had in mind. Uh, And uh, so we're now into chapter 16. Uh, Okay, so we've got some questions The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So who is on the way? Quick as you like. Samuel, yep. And where is he going? Quick as you like. To Bethlehem, yeah. And he's looking out for Jesse's family who are based in Bethlehem. And what has the Lord already done? Chosen Yeah, now I'm going to tell you something because I did look this up. It doesn't actually say chosen. It says seen. I have seen, or if you like, seen to it. And there's a lot of seeing going on here. And I had this idea. I don't know whether this is going to work. When we come across a text that that either says see or look, that we would all raise our hands to show that we've spotted it. Should we try that? So if I read... I have seen one of his sins to be king. Okay, we're all on the ball there. Yeah, okay, the Lord has chosen. He's seen, actually. So I'm going to put an eye there to show. This is an interesting thing about the chapter that the Lord sees. Oh, okay, right, yeah, okay. <laughs> now then, there's some danger in going to Bethlehem, and uh, the elders tremble when they see Samuel on his way, and Samuel says, "I'm worried because if Saul spots me, going to do it. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, if Saul spots me, don't know, um, going to to anoint a rival king, I'm going to be dead meat. So what is the? He makes an excuse, and the, and the Lord tells him to sort of protect himself by giving a, I don't know, a distraction, something that." doesn't tell the whole story what is he what is the excuse yeah a heifer I'd actually got the heifer it's supposed to appear a bit later but pardon yeah for a sacrifice yeah I'm going to make a sacrifice uh so Saul's men where are you going Samuel I'm I'm just going for a sacrifice okay right to sacrifice a heifer and who is invited to the sacrifice Jesse yeah thank you Jesse and his sons. And what now then? Let's just take it on a bit here. Um, So, where did we get to? uh, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I say. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked him, Do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, Yes, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. What did Samuel see then? Eliab. Um, Yeah. Eliab. And Eliab is that tall one. I don't know why I put that in too early. And what does Samuel think? Because he sees Eliab, who is tall and strong and good-looking. good, good looking. What does he think? Uh, okay, let's come to that. Yeah. Uh, he... Uh, He looks at him and thinks, this must be the chosen one because he looks really good. But uh, the Lord says to Samuel, what does he say in verse 7? Anybody tell us? Because you you were on on it almost already. Okay, should I say that again with people ready to, well done, thank you. So, uh, ready to put up hands if they notice anything. Um, the Lord said to Samuel, do not uh, consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. That's the same as what the Lord did to Saul. I've rejected him, and I've rejected this other tall bloke. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here, you've got your aerobic exercise for this morning. There aren't aren't quite as many looks at in Hebrew, but there's a lot of them. Uh, It says, it actually says, um, I couldn't work out the translation, Adam, meaning ordinary people, sees the eye, but the Lord sees the heart it's interesting another eye here the lord looks at the heart uh, okay i'm going on too far so this is this is something isn't it uh, adam looks at the eye or maybe with yeah okay with the eye we see the external but the lord sees the heart well done yeah the lord the heart and of course that's, just, that's a truth, it isn't just restricted to David all those years ago, the Lord, our hearts too, and I wonder what he sees, oh yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's a really good question isn't it, because our hearts, we know something of our hearts, but we don't actually know everything that's going on inside us, but the Lord does. And what does he see? (laughs) What does does he notice? Um, Because in our hearts there can be love for the Lord. There can be trust in the Lord. There can be revulsion to the Lord. There can be uh, resentment towards the Lord. There can be patiently waiting for him. There can be fretting. Uh, there can be selfishness, there can be envy, uh, there can be contentment. There's all sorts of things go on. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, Lord, search my heart and see if there's any wicked way within me. Because outwardly, we can behave in all sorts of ways. I mean, it just takes a bit of effort. But what really counts is what's going on inside. And... I don't know about you, but I would like the Lord to deal with what goes on right inside me and to change that so that I can be, like it says here, someone after God's own heart, someone who who loves the things that the Lord loves, who listens to the Lord deeply, who acts on what he says because it's all gone down deep into the heart. And perhaps this evening we might be able to Follow that up a little bit. Anyway, so Eliab wasn't the one uh, because Adam looks with the eye, but the Lord sees the heart. Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel, and Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, but the Lord says, But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. And then he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? I find that a rather comical. Um, how many sons do you actually have? You know, um, I forget people's birthdays. Do you, do you, um, I forget how old my children are. I forget how old I am, actually. I have to work it out by arithmetic, because I know my date of birth. But I don't actually forget how many children I've got. <laughs> but it, uh, it, So let's count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Is that all the children you've got? Well, actually, what's the answer? No, there's one that I didn't really count. Um, What's what's this one doing? Anybody remember what this one's doing? Or shall we? Yeah? Yeah? He's tending the sheep. There is the youngest, Jesse answered. We don't really count him. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel says, send for him. We won't sit down until he arrives. There's actually quite a bit of sending that goes on in this chapter and he sent for him. Let's, let's bring David in. There we are. So he's the youngest, and he didn't really count, but he's here now, um, the insignificant one. And um, when he comes in, he is glowing with health. He was ruddy, it says. So I think redness was supposed to be a sign of health. Uh, he had a fine appearance actually says bright eyes. <laughs> Has bright eyes and um, what's the next? And a han- handsome features. Well, here, so we've got David. We've got David onto the scene now. And, and interesting that the way the Lord does this, he doesn't go for the one who looks, you know, nicest haircut and uh, best makeup. He's looking at the heart, isn't he? And it happens to be that here is somebody, I mean he's certainly not perfect, but God has put into his heart deeply to want to serve him, to do things his way, to follow him. Uh, He's put that into his heart. And I'm just reminded of Isaiah 53 verse 2 which speaks about the servant of the Lord. Let me just look it up and see if I can quote it to you. 53.2, where it says about the servant, this is the suffering servant, the servant who redeems his people. It says, "'He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, and nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain.'" Uh, This this is like Jesus, isn't it? Already David is sort of hinting us in the direction of Jesus, who was born not in a palace, but in a stable, who didn't come to be incarnate in New York uh, or Manhattan, but came to be incarnate in a tiny little country uh, in the middle of nowhere um, in in what we call the Middle East and who lived an ordinary life until the time of his ministry. And people said, uh, he's in Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? So this sort of hiddenness and this insignificance is part of the Lord Jesus. And interestingly, I'm going to read read you from 1 Corinthians 1, that same thing of taking an insignificant person but actually saving the world through Jesus, it sort of rubs off on his church. So I'm going to read you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, look at you lot. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. So we've got some PhDs and MAs here, but we certainly, we're not all that, are we? By a long chalk. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. So I don't know whether we've got any dukes and duchesses or earls or lords and ladies. We're just ordinary people, aren't we? And um, can God use just ordinary people? Well, he goes on to say God chose... The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And he's saying, Well, can you know, I don't know whether you ever think this, can God use us? Can God use me? You know, I'm not hyper talented. I'm not of noble birth, don't know anybody in the Houses of Parliament. I'm just an ordinary person. And this this is God's wisdom. I will use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I will bring this posh, wise, clever world to nothing using people who are just counted as insignificant. It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? Uh, God uses us to further his purposes, to bring him glory, to advance his kingdom. And please be encouraged, if you came to church this morning thinking, well, God can't use me, I'm just nobody, uh, blah, blah, blah. uh, Just bear in mind, God chose you and he will use you to bring to nothing the things that are. Well, that's what he's beginning to do with David and um, I just, just bear with me I wonder whether I've left out the song don't look, close your eyes um, no I think, I think I'm on the right track yeah um, so this is the one let's go back to 1 Samuel 16 this is the one and the Lord says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So, so folks, anoint is a word uh, which is like Messiah, except it's, it's a, a doing word. Uh, Messiah him. Here's the Messiah. And Messiah means something beginning with C. Anybody tell us the equivalent word for Messiah? Christ. Yeah, that's right, Christ. He is the Christ. This is the one, anoint him. So what did... Samuel do. This is the one, the youngest one, and he's anointed. I think I've got myself out of order here. There's the anointing with the oil, and what happens from that day on? Anybody read ahead and tell us what happens from that day on? Let's have somebody from this side. What happens from that day on? Anybody? In verse 13. thank you very much, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. NIV says came powerfully, um, something like rushed, whoosh, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David and Samuel went to Ramah. Let's see what I put up here. He's the Messiah, he's the Christ, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon David and we wonder what will happen when we have the King who is empowered by the Spirit. Because what what happened when Saul was empowered by the Spirit? Back in the previous, back in a chapter or two ago? Did he, he did prophesy. He did something military. He defeated an enemy. He defeated an enemy. Yeah, he, he, he got everybody. There was a big battle. So I, I wonder... So we've got to verse 13, and I wonder whether in verse 14 we'll have a big battle, because that, be, that would fit the pattern. What will he do? Um, we actually have to wait till chapter 17. What happens in chapter 17? You're allowed to look ahead. It's David and Goliath, yes. So we, he does do a big battle uh, in the power of the Spirit. But the moment he's hidden, till the right moment, he's going to crush the serpent in a, in a way. Um, David is the right king. He's actually going to make a mess of things. So we still need another David, the son of David. And in Luke chapter 1, this is why this is so significant. This is the angel coming to Mary and saying, the baby you're going to have, Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So this is why Jesus is so important when he comes. Who is he going to be? He's going to be what David was meant to be, but didn't manage it. But he's going to be those things. But there won't be an end to this rule. He will be—he will sit on the throne of his father David forever. When, da- when Jesus was born, the angel said he will sit on the throne of David. That's important. And how long? For for Never. ever. Yeah. And where are we? Oh yes. Uh, no. So here is a catechism question. Do you remember the catechism? Um, How doth Christ execute the office of a king? And the answer is, Christ executeth the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, reference A, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. That's a great summary, isn't it? Uh, Jesus is the king. What does he do as the king? He subdues us to himself. So he rules over us, makes us his servants. He rules and defends us. He defends us. It's great to have a king on our side, isn't it? He restrains and conquers all his and our enemies. So he does crush the serpent. Let's stop and sing. Uh, The splendor of the king. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? How great is our God. Sometimes his greatness is shown in sort of... I don't know, what to say, sort of hidden ways, small ways, um, but God works in all sorts of ways. Let's come back to the chapter, because we just did the first bit, and I was thinking, why doesn't it go straight to chapter 17 when we get David and Goliath? Could that be exciting? But when we have this, um, this bit here, uh, which is about Well, what happens next? Um, Now, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So what did the Spirit of the Lord do as regards Saul? Departed. So the Spirit of the Lord departs from Saul, and the Spirit of the Lord as regards David... came upon him thank you very much the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul came upon David and what but an evil spirit did something what did the evil spirit do? it tormented tormented him yes so we have a I put there black lines uh, a dark thing um, an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul And what do the servants of Saul Saul recommend? Because presumably they've seen this happen and they have a recommendation. Do they recommend? They do. They recommend a harp or a lyre or whatever instrument it is to calm him. Saul's attendants said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let the Lord say to his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre? When the evil spirit from God comes upon you, you will feel better. It actually says, "I will." It will be good to you. And I want, worth thinking about that word "good." Uh, it will be good. There will be something good comes to you uh, when this evil spirit is there. So they have to do some searching, and of course there was some searching in the first half of the chapter, wasn't it? They were looking, trying to find the king. But here there's a searching going on for a skillful harp player, and it will be good. I'll just emphasize the good because I think that's important. So, um, now are you ready? Verse 17, so Saul said to his servants, the word find is the word see see someone who plays well and bring him to me. So we're all, yeah, there's another seeing going on here. And one of the servants answered, are you ready for this? I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre and then we get some extra information. Not only is he a good instrumentalist, but he's a brave man, a warrior. He speaks well, a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. Okay, uh, so uh, the servant said, "I have seen a son of Jesse. Well done. Yeah, he's brave warrior. Speaks well. The Lord is with him. The people speak well of David. So this is this is sort of setting the scene. I mean, this these two chapters don't say everything, but they set the scene. People are speaking well of him, uh, and this servant sort of speaks well of him without even having to do so. He adds it sort of on his own. He's." A brave man, a warrior, he speaks well, a fine-looking man, the Lord is with him. And I'm just thinking about the Lord Jesus. Uh, In some ways he was disregarded, but in other ways people were attracted to him, weren't they? The common people heard him gladly. People flocked to hear his preaching. Now he upset the authorities, but the ordinary people found something attractive in Jesus. And I wonder whether you do. I wonder what you think of Jesus. I mean, there's all sorts of reactions to him. Some people, when they get to find out about him, are very annoyed about him and don't want to know more about him. And other people, as they begin to find out about him, say, actually, there's so much going on with this person. I I really want to know more about him. He's a brilliant, brilliant person. Tell me more. And I don't know what what goes on in, in you about Jesus. So David gets sent for, so there's some more sending. This is in verse nineteen. Saul sent messengers to Jesse, who said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. So he gets sent for there he is, he's brought his lyre, which I didn't draw very well. The Spirit of the Lord is with him, remember. And it says what did t- what it says? In verse 21, David came to Saul, no, no, yeah, that's it, and entered his service. Saul liked him very much. It actually says Saul loved David much. It's interesting how how things can change, isn't it? Because it does change. But at this point, Saul thinks this is, you know, he's a lovely young man. He play well and look at him. He's strong and uh, speaks well. There's something about him. And it says uh, Saul loved him. Just shows it's a bit fickle, isn't it? Because later on, Saul gets really jealous of him. But at this point, he loves him. And uh, he, David became one of his armor bearers and Saul sent us another sending going on there. Sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. And I'll tell you what I am pleased with him is in the original. He has found, are you ready for this? He has found favor in my sight, or in my eyes. So there's another scene. It's interesting that that Saul, he says, he has found favor in my sight. I've seen him. Okay, I've (laughs) seen him. Well, has, has Saul really seen him? I mean, he sees the outside, doesn't he? He obviously doesn't see the heart. And he doesn't see that David is the one who's going to replace him. So he's, he's seen and yet he hasn't seen. But what he has seen so far has found favor in his sight. I suppose it's the same thing with spiritual things, isn't it? You, you might be attracted to, to begin with, but there's more to see. And, and you just have to keep on making sure that the more you see, you, you take it on board. And don't get to a point where you say, well, I like Jesus up to this point, but I don't like what the rest of it. Anyway. When the evil spirit came upon Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. There's some uh, David playing, look at that. And it would bring relief. It's almost like a word for spiritual relief. And he would feel better. It would be good. It would be good did you have a good day Saul? Yeah I did. I felt awful to begin with but David came and played and that was good. He did me good. The evil spirit left. He brought if you like spiritual refreshment to Saul. So David does good to Saul and if you follow the story on because it's only just beginning here, I've got a couple of references in chapter 19 verse 9 the evil spirit from the lord came on saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand who has got to watch out for people who sit in the front room with a spear in their hand while david was playing the lyre saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear see things are going to get get worse aren't they and David does good to Saul, but Saul, how would you summarize that? Saul does what? Evil. Yeah, he does evil to David. He doesn't deserve it, does he? And in 24, 16 and 17, this is uh, when David was on the run and Saul was chasing after him sometime later. David and his men were in a cave and Saul went into the cave to go to the toilet And while he was there, David could have reached out and stabbed him, but he didn't do so. And uh, when Saul went back out of the cave, David came out of the cave and said, do you realize what's happened? I could have killed you, but I didn't. When David finished saying this, this is chapter 24, verse 16, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud, you are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just told me about the good you did to me. The Lord gave me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. So, uh, this is little pattern starting here of. David doing good to Saul, and Saul doing, uh, well, evil, treating him badly. And here's a, a pattern, I think. The real king is a servant for good, but suffers for doing so. And, of course, our Lord Jesus fulfills that pattern. He gives it the fullest possible expression, that he came to do good. It says he went around doing good, but he got it in the neck, or metaphorically he got crucified for doing good and he suffered and even on the cross he was doing good to his enemies wasn't he while we were still his enemies Christ died for us he's a wonderful person who does good so consistently the wrong king is the opposite he's unfair and hurtful and it's the Lord Jesus who it says he went around doing good but his enemies did harm to him. They hated me without a cause is one of the things that Jesus, um, one of the things that applies to Jesus. True of David, much more true of Jesus. Saul's spear always missed David, but the centurion's spear didn't miss Jesus. And the route to the throne, as we shall see as we go on through these chapters, the route to the throne isn't just bang, he's the king. It's a very tortuous route. It's a very difficult route uh, via suffering. And, of course, Jesus said, the Son of God, the Son of Man must suffer and thus enter his glory. That's the way the Christ entered his kingdom. And the story goes on, and we shall see some more next week. Let's sing about the throne. There is a higher throne.